Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Today is the beginning. I just wanna hit this, the beginning of Coaches Week. So we have lined up right now 20 plus outstanding world-class coaches and we're gonna be answering your questions throughout the week. If you have more questions or comments, by all means, put them up in the comment section. We can engage those directly as we go. Um, any thoughts or questions before we dive in? Anybody got anything before we go? No? Okay, let's start it off with the, uh, actually, before we go anywhere, I want to remind everybody, like the show, hit the subscribe, hit the notification bell, that way you get your email every morning. I'm a little excited. You should be excited. This is an intense moment. So, let's get the first question up and rolling. This comes from Corey McGregor, also known as um, Winterstorm427, and uh, let's hit it. Here we go. Coaches on the Collective, question for you. When did you start identifying as a coach? When did you start telling other people you were a coach? And what changed to make you identify as that? Rather than somebody who was uh, enthusiastic about helping others or had a lot of experience in the area that uh, you now identify as a coach. Let me know. Thanks. So I'm going to start with Sean. What do you think? Mm, okay. So uh, I've never really considered it before. So this is kind of a, a live answer. Um, I think maybe I was coaching a long time before the moment that I'm about to describe, because the moment that I'm going to describe is when it really sank in that, oh, I'm actually coaching right now. So, of course, I was coaching in the military uh, in a bunch of different ways. And then immediately after I left Tier 1, I went to the Ontario Police College where I taught for a year as a use of force instructor. And I suppose I was coaching then as well, but I wasn't considering myself as a coach. Um, and I'll, I'll clearly define what made me think of a coach uh, in a sec. I, after a use of force instruction, I went back to school, became a computer system engineer, and then I started teaching um, in an uh, institution. And I was teaching day class, and then day class I was teaching night class, and then night class I then started writing a book. Somewhere in that process, I found myself between my day class and my night class, which was a time from 5 o'clock in the afternoon until 6 o'clock in the afternoon, I would have time to myself where I'd be eating my dinner before I'd start teaching my night class. And I'd just eat my dinner right at my server so I could set up my night classes. And uh, what was happening is my day class would stay longer than they should. Instead of going home, they'd hang out in my classroom. And my night classes were showing up early to hang out with me. And so I'd have my day class and my night classes staying later, coming early, and hanging around my server as I was trying to eat and they were just hitting me with all of the questions that they had thought um, outside of the classroom. But these questions started morphing into, hey, Sean, my kid at home was doing this. Have you any thoughts on that? And so I wasn't just doing computer system engineering stuff. I was then kind of like coaching adults in their own lives. And at some point during that process, I thought, wow, uh, this is not what I ever thought I would do in my life when I was tier one. So that was the moment that I started realizing that I was coaching um, adults in things that weren't all about uh, putting rounds downrange or blowing things up or whatever the case is. It was coaching the thing I was responsible for, but coaching things around my primary responsibility, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Julie, what about yourself? Uh, well, that would be easy for me. That's when Sean quit uh, coaching and somehow uh, convinced me to take over uh, the role about a year and a half ago. So that would be the formal uh, step for coaching uh, for a cycling coach aspect. But prior to that, I've been in the fitness industry for uh, 15, 20 years as a fitness instructor. So that would be my initial um introduction to coaching per se from um, a group perspective. And then from there, I transitioned into some personal training and then ultimately now into cycle cycling uh, specifically for coaching. Absolutely. Travis, how about yourself? 
Um, kind of like Sean. I mean, I think in the military, you're you're kind of a de facto, which is uh, once you're put into a leadership role and you have to get youngsters to to perform at a certain level, you're kind of unknowingly coaching them through stuff. But uh, I think I didn't really realize that that was happening until I started to get feedback from subordinates on, you know, like being thankful for my mentorship or, you know, just basically saying thanks for the help, you know, then you, then you kind of put two and two together that you're actually having an impact on people more than just, you know, steady press on the trigger. Like it's, it's beyond just the, the, the technical detail of, of coaching somebody through a movement or a skill, but actually having an impact on their, on their, thought processes, I think, is when uh, once you make that realization, you're like, kind of like, oh, hey, there's something something to mentorship, like real coaching and mentorship. You know, the military describes coach, train, mentor. That's a, a, a big thing in the at least in the American armed forces that they use in leadership schools and stuff. And uh, I think once you realize that you're actually impacting people is when, at least for me, that's when I kind of made the, the connection that I uh, I I'm a coach. I'm kind of a, I'm a coach. Never really intended it to happen. It just kind of did. And uh, honestly, it's one of the, it's one of the most fulfilling parts of my life. I like it. I like a lot. Nako, what about yourself? I was going to say, uh, Travis uh, mirrored my exact answer. Um, coming on to the police department, it's something that you don't really seek out, but then others uh, saw, I guess they saw some different qualities in me and hit me up with uh, proposals of, hey, I think you'd be a really good uh, member, a union delegate for our uh, organization where you navigate people through uh, career survival, legal problems, uh, complaint procedures, um, critical incidents and what have you. So if someone's asking me, you know, hey, I think you'd like this, I'm going to listen and uh, I'm going to go for it. And then other opportunities such as uh, becoming a department certified peer support uh, counselor. Uh, someone hit me up about that. And just like Travis is super rewarding to be able to uh, get those skills and give them back and help people navigate um, our life and our profession. And so that the, the term coach wasn't really, it's, it's not something on the business card, but it's things that I really love doing. And I think the first half of my career was uh, more like self-serving in a way of wanting to uh, arrest every gang member and parolee that I could get my hands on. And then the second part of my career was from seeing other mentors and becoming a department supervisor was trying to give back to the organization and the next generation and take all the lessons I learned from others and myself and things that I failed at and trying to put that to the next gen so they don't follow in my footsteps and uh, step on those landmines per se. So been extremely gratifying and uh, it's really an honor to be able to serve the community and to serve your organization at the same time. So. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> before we get deeper into that, I just want to hit these up real quick. Cody just joining us. Good to see you. Steve Wilson, Morning Collective. Thanks every, and then Winterstorm, thanks everyone for the stellar answers. Absolutely. I had a question based on the answers that you guys give me. It, it sounds very much like you never really just take the, uh, like, oh, I'm just going to be a coach now and run off with it. It seems like you are bestowed the title of coach and you just kind of realize it. Sean, you're shaking your head. What's up? I, I am shaking my head. I, I look at this panel and I think that uh, it was it was gifted to all of us to some degree, uh, either on a uh, rapid turnover or on a long-term process, but it was all gifted to us through, um, through time. Uh, and the reason I'm shaking my head uh, when, when you're saying, you know, it sounds like coaching is dot 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 for this panel it is but it isn't for the internet and the reason that i say that is because uh just before i hopped into my live ig chat i was quickly catching up on my social media and of course we all get hit with advertisements and it just seems that at this moment right now maybe it's just my feed maybe it's everyone's feed i don't know but um you know every 10th post i'm seeing an ad that is some some kid 
who looks like he's got about that much life experience, who's pitching a 21-day course about uh, how to become a mega coach, mega leader, mega athlete, mega whatever. And uh, the verbiage usually sounds something like this. Six months ago, I was burned out and lost, and I didn't know what to do. But now I've got a 21-day course that uh, will help you become a mega champion in life, dot, 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 etc. And so <clears throat> there are people that are categorizing themselves as coaches at 18 years of age or at any age with no life experience, we'll call it, to be able to proclaim that they're a coach. And so I look at this panel. I know how long I coached Julie. It was at least a decade. And uh, Nako and Trav, you know, like you guys have been in the game uh, so long that you could write books about how to uh, do it properly within your industries. And so that's experience gained hard life lessons that turn us into wisdom-based or experience-based coaches. And so, yeah, that can happen. But what can also happen is someone does a one-day course, gets a certificate that's called Mega Coach, and now they're out there on the interwebs pimping themselves as, hey, come on, I'll sort your life out because I've got a, a certificate. And so I think that there is some coaching out there that is inappropriate. Yeah, for sure. Nako, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say it as necessarily a bad thing, but as, as a consumer, if you're out there, you definitely have to do your homework. And, you know, maybe an 18-year-old could be a good coach for a 13-year-old. So they, they have some experience. It's limited. I try to see, be the optimist. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. It's I was like, very optimistic. <laughs> I try, try to trying to help out those 18 year olds. I mean, uh, Hey, I mean, if you're an 18 year old and you're on that path, I mean, more power to you. I mean, I was throwing rocks through windows and, and, and doing all types of nefarious stuff at 18. That's the last thing I was thinking of really was uh, coaching others and being a leader. Uh, so good on you. And, um, you know what? I just think of myself, even at my, you know, going at 30 years in law enforcement and, uh, I have a lot to learn. So it's, it's a lifetime of learning. So even if you're 18, just, Get, get the ball rolling and, and just keep on building. Building that resume, keep uh, living a life of service. So I think everyone has something to add and everyone has something to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Julie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends who you're coaching to both Sean and Nako's point. So, I mean, you can't be trying to coach someone who wants to go to the Olympics or, um, a world event if you just started coaching 20 days ago. So, I mean, there's a mix. You need to have uh, the life experience and have experienced some of the challenges that the athlete that you're coaching is going to perhaps face. So that's one part of it. And then, I mean, you do need to have um, the education, whether it's formal or you've just learned yourself behind you. So it really depends, but I think, um, You've got to have experience. I, I feel that is key. Whatever you're coaching, you need to have some boots on the ground, so to speak, for whatever you're going to be passing on for your advice to your athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Travis, what do you think? Well, there's there's two types of coaches. I think there's there's people who coach, you know, because they truly want to help other people do well. And then there's other people who coach because they want to be seen as the coach, as the, as the one, you know, the, the person with the answer. And those two can both be effective. And uh, I think as a, I guess, for lack of a better term, a client or a learner, you would, uh, you'd have to just kind of decide which, which one of those you want to follow. You know, um, I, I have the same, I guess, I don't know, angst about when I see Instagram coaches out there teaching everybody what it's like to be in in whatever tactical scenario it might be you know the especially in the gun world it's like it's it's really ridiculous with the the amount of uh i mean i'm old now so i would say uh, all these rookies out there trying to tell everybody how it's going to be with very minimal experience that's you know it's not how you gain wisdom in my opinion i think wisdom sean hit that also is like kind of one of the key components to to coaching and that comes with not only the education that's required with the technical aspect of whatever you're doing, but also, you know, the experience, you know, you don't get 
to really know what you're doing until you failed at it kind of, you know, more than the average guy has tried, you know, and you're able to see others about to make the same mistakes that you once made so you can prevent that and then steer them down a path of uh, success, you know, in, in any skill, you know. Um, and really it's it's about, to me, being a coach is just about seeing the best in, in other people, you know. Um, I was always pretty good at whatever we were doing, you know, on the range, you know, physical aspect, everything like that. I was never the best. Uh, I was above average, but I have, I recognize that I have an ability to see other people doing things and where they're a little bit, they just need a little bit right here. And that's the secret sauce that gets them over the top, you know, and I've been able to kind of capitalize that on that through, through my military career and after. So, uh, you know, to me, it gives me just, it, it makes me giddy almost to see, see one of my, one of my athletes succeed, you know? Absolutely. Now I got a quick comment here from Cody. He says, that's because your preparation meant opportunity, in his opinion. Uh, may have a sliver of luck, but you were all ready and raised to the occasion or risen to the occasion, whichever you want to go with. Any any thoughts on that before we move on to the next question or you guys happy with where we're sitting? Oh, I, I love Narco's optimism. <laughs> I love it. And, and I... I, I want to encourage every 18-year-old out there to try to make a difference, for sure. Uh, while at the same time, I want to encourage all the other 18-year-olds who are looking for a coach to be more careful on who they select. And so the reason I say that, uh, and, and man, if I was 18 and, and I wanted to be a coach, I wouldn't want old Sean to be throwing me under the bus like I don't know how to coach. Maybe I'd be able to coach a little bit, uh, but uh, here's the here's the the importance of what what I'm trying to say right now. That our generation, an older generation, I'll call it, uh, didn't have the internet, didn't have TikTok, didn't have the uh, the uh, the flashy sounds and the flashy colors to make someone super appealing on uh, social media. And so I look at this panel and I think. There are people with um, a tenth of the experience of this panel that look like they've got 1,000% more experience than this panel. Uh, that is the danger of social media. Uh, none of us are probably very good at it. <laughs> and, and, then, and certainly, like if I tried to represent my body of work through social media, I'd have to use stick figures because I'm not very good with social media. But there are folks out there that have, again, one-tenth of this wisdom uh, of this panel. And uh, it looks like a James Cameron clip of uh, their abilities in coaching. It's Hollywood good. And so the imagery of today, uh, the social media, man not manipulation, but the um, representation uh, on social media today, can really pump up someone's non-existent resume and uh, detract from coaches that are out there that are not quieter, but just are not as familiar with social media. Well, what do you guys, uh, and Julie, sorry, uh, what do you all think of uh, that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I'm gonna go to Travis, what do you think? I agree 1 million percent. Uh, there's, uh, I think Gen X kind of were the, you know, we're the generation that kind of got exposed to both worlds. Like, you know, growing up, I didn't really, I mean, we didn't have cell phones until we were well into adulthood, you know? So knowing how to, knowing how to manipulate the, the algorithms and things like that are, are a challenge for us, you know? And also we grew up in an era where kind of being humble was, you know, like kind of forced upon you really. Like, you know, uh, when I came up in the military, you know, it was, quiet professionalism was the moniker, you know, you, you stay quiet, work hard, be humble and, and crush everything, you know, and just let your reputation speak for itself. It doesn't need help from you. Well, nowadays, if you don't, if you're not out there vocally telling everybody how cool you are, like you're just going to be pushed to the side and like completely disregarded, especially when it comes to social media and clickbait and all that stuff. So it is a learning curve for us. And, uh, probably it's a learning curve for the people who are looking for coaches also because they're going to make mistakes in that and seeking out a, a coach you know there's 
there's the outlier who's going to find the the perfect coach the first time, you know, it's like, you know, finding your match on, on some dating app, the first go. And there's the vast majority of people are not going to have that experience. So, you know, testing the waters and, and things and uh, knowing really what you want to achieve through your coach and knowing where the coach fits into your program, your training philosophy, that's also part of it. But uh, it's definitely a, uh, a learning experience for all of us involved. Absolutely. And just so you guys know, I met my wife on an online dating platform. First woman I tried. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Bam. And the outlier. Pretty good. Congrats. From, uh, I was actually in the field too when we were chatting online. <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, Julie, what do you think? Oh, that's cool. Little story about your wife. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I agree with what Sean and Travis said. Certainly, um, you know, there's some stuff out there that looks pretty flashy and people are skilled when they're not. So I'm of the similar mindset. I'm not really one to say, hey, I'm a coach. I'm awesome. Like, come and sign up with me. That's not really my my scene uh, per se. So I think really at the end of the day, social media is big, but I feel like still word of mouth is still going to be important. So, I mean, as you build your clientele, then other people who train with you will share their experience and that will, that will um, perhaps give you more clientele. So I guess there is a bit of a balance, but again, I'm not really one even to push my services face to face. I mean, some of my clients, I think um, a year and a half or so ago, we met up with some people riding and the one girl was saying, oh, you know, I, I don't have a coach. I'm not coaching with anyone right now. And I didn't say anything, but my husband piped up, hey, well, did you know Julie's starting to coach now? I mean, mm -hmm. I just, I just didn't say anything. And sure enough, she got in touch with me that day and signed up, I mean, a day or two later. So I guess there is a balance, but I think at the end of the day, if you are a good coach, you have integrity, you set a good example, then, you know, your, your coaching uh, will show through, hopefully. But again, you do have to get on the social media game, too, if you want to try to keep up with the youngsters. So. That's tough. Nako, you want to run us out? Yes. Uh, take things at face value. Just because somebody has 10 million followers or, you know, portrays this whole beautiful existence, they're just a human like everybody else. They have flaws. They have, you know, they have, they're messy like we are. They're, they're seeking answers, too. And we, we just don't see it. But that's okay. If they're 80% of the time they're doing it right, you know, don't throw all your eggs in the basket. And if they do go off the, off the path and uh, say 20% of whatever they're exposing and you don't agree with that, that's fine. You could still, there's still quality. And on the flip side of that, uh, just because someone isn't a coach and they're living a different life, different lifestyle that you're not maybe in accordance with, that doesn't mean that you can't learn something from them. I, I'm a strong believer. You could learn from everybody. And some of the most important lessons I've, I've learned in little snippets of conversation and interactions I've had were with people that they're on the street that were homeless that had, you know, relatively uh, zero possessions, but their, their wealth was in their, their mind and experience and uh, the love that they had for others. So just because they don't have any followers and not on social media or they don't have a title, uh, keep your eyes and ears open and you'll be surprised at what you can learn. And um, like you said about a certificate, it's just a piece of paper. It's all about what you've, what you've learned and how you put that out to the universe. So yeah, that's, that's my, that's what I say. Absolutely. Um, now I got a couple more comments here and then uh, if you guys are good, I'll move on to the second question before any other thoughts before I hit these though. I do. I have one more dilemma that I'm going to propose to the panel. And this is for uh, people who are listening as well. Julie knows this. Uh, I never spent a dollar on marketing ever. Uh, and I turned away more people than I accepted. That was just my style. Um, if, if people found me, it's because they had to dig. It's not because uh, I was putting it out there. And so that's one approach. Um, another approach, of course, is to start spending money on marketing and to start putting yourself out there in a really not forceful way, but a concerted effort to grow your footprint through 
uh, we'll call it social media. Um, it, it feels inauthentic to me, but I know that that's, um, that's kind of the game nowadays. Um, and by game, I mean the game of trying to do good for people. I'm not talking about trying to rip people off or, or steer them in the wrong direction. The game nowadays is to um, represent yourself in, in social media in a way that uh, kind of authentically demonstrates yourself, but is still putting yourself out there maybe more than you're comfortable with, at least more than I'm comfortable with. Um, do you think that there's a line in the sand that as coaches, it becomes inauthentic or no? Mm, that's a good question. Nakba, I'm going to start with you. You know, the first thought that came into my mind is I, I like seeing the fails of, uh, of people that do really good or that, you know, that they're high performers. And when you see them, you know, struggling with whatever it is that they're portraying, I love that the most. I think that's the most memorable. So I try to keep that cognizant when I'm, when I'm putting out little snippets of things like, yeah, don't, don't put the highlights, you know, put the lowlights in there. More people are usually failing than succeeding. And if they're saying, oh, wow, this guy that I look up to, that's doing it right. He's, he's getting it wrong. Okay. That, that's not a bad thing. That's okay. He's not perfect. So show the flaws, um, you know, where do the opposite. Everyone's putting on the filters and this and that, like, yeah, show me the dirt, show me the grit. That's, that's the authentic thing. I mean, show me the black eyes. That's, that's what I'm attracted to. I was always, uh, some of my mentors were just like anti-heroes of flawed individuals, but I, they, they can pick themselves up off the ground, whether it's, you know, people like G. Gordon Liddy or Richard Nixon or Jimmy Page, people that overcome, overcame huge resistance and, and persevered despite that. That's what I'm looking for. So show me the cracks in the pavement and then how you fixed it after that. So well, uh, I, just, just before we move on to the next answer, Nako, I have to ask you this specifically because I'm curious as to what formed that within you because you're a representation of a certain demographic in my mind anyway. And so I saw you recently on your social media feed, you were at UFC, you were hanging out with Dana White and you were doing all of that thing. Anytime you want to go back there to Boston and hang out with Dana White, I've got, I can make time. Uh, so, uh, you know, you came up, you came up in a way in a neighborhood, in a city with people that are of a certain uh, character, a certain sort of style of human. And that probably helped formed who you are and that's formed your your sense of how how to re relate with people and how to uh, love the antihero and how to all of these things. Uh, but I would say that that's, that's perhaps a regional result rather than that's common throughout the entire country, as it were. And so um, do you think your culture formed your view on this answer or since you've moved out to the left coast or the west coast, do you think that that's uh, shaped your, what, what was it? It was definitely definitely a combination of both. The foundation of it was definitely my father. He was a airborne Vietnam Ranger, and he just had a plethora of of friends and associates from all over the spectrum. You know, priests, uh, gangsters, uh, hell's angels, and uh, everything in between. Uh, high profile politicians. So I was constantly bombarded with you know stories uh, and lessons and failures and and everything in between and i just learned to accept people for what they are and everyone has something to bring to the party and just because they had a certain past or they subscribe to a certain notion that doesn't uh that doesn't mean i can't learn from them doesn't mean i have to accept what they say or want to follow that path but i could learn from them so that's i've always been i i was a solo child so i was always a great listener i didn't have any much feedback to throw back I said, I have brothers and sisters, so I would just sit there and soak up the knowledge. So, yeah, growing up in New York City, I mean, we're, we're exposed to so much. It, you know, it's such a dense city, and everyone's on top of each other and from all walks of life. And then when I came out here to the uh, to Los Angeles, I got involved, had, had a lot of friends that went through uh, recovery. So uh, former drug addicts, alcoholics, and everything else in between. And I saw the, how they how they gave back to the community and how they brought their life back to, uh, from, you know, from the, after burning it down. So musicians and all types of people. So I, that's, uh, that was, that's my foundation of uh, forgiveness and, uh, you know, living, living a life of service and, uh, you know, coming from like a Catholic Judeo-Christian background of reconciliation and uh, 
you know, the underdog. I, I just was always a fan of the underdog. So um, being, uh, being in law enforcement, we're, we're surrounded by people that screwed up their lives. So if I can give back, you know, maybe 10%, help someone out, you know, that's mission accomplished for me. Awesome. Thank you. I like it. Uh, Travis, you got any thoughts on Sean's original question? He asked where was the line in the sand between authenticity and, uh, and marketing and marketing, yeah. you know, and uh, I kind of got stuck on that and it was just like going around. And I think once you, there's a realization that if you're going to coach for a career, obviously you're going to have to make a living, you know, that's a thing. So you, you'll probably fight with that a little bit, but once it becomes more important to make money, if you make a decision that like, well, this is the right thing, but I need to do this in order to make money. If you make that decision, now you've stepped over the line, but now you're no longer authentic. You're just in it for the money part. And now you've, you've stopped being an authentic coach. And now you're, you're, you know, one of those negative people we talk about that's in it for the money and not for the, uh, for the betterment of people. Yeah. So that's a good line to draw. Absolutely. Julie, you got any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think there is a bit of a balance, uh, to Nako's point as well. You can't, you're, you're not going to come across as being authentic if you just show all the wins and, and none of the losses. So, you know, people get tired. You can't just keep putting all your podium shots up there or running on or riding on trails that are awesome and sunshine. You have to also share, you know, the hard times, the mud, the dirt, the grit, all the things that got you there and, and the losses and share those, the times that you screwed up or what you learned so you can pass those on to, to the world basically. And uh, I think also if you just, yeah, if you're just doing it to make money to Travis's point, then that will come through as well. So, I mean, I think there's a balance. You may want to provide some things for free or advice or tips here and there at some point. I mean, you can't give everything away for free if that's your career, but there is a balance of sharing the information, the wins and the losses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> now I got a couple comments here. I just want to hit on, and then we'll jump into the second question here. Un unless there's any other thoughts. Very good. Cool. Uh, Winterstorm jumps in. He says, wisdom is the experience of doing it wrong, being humble enough to learn from it and the perception to see it happening when someone else starts doing it and the lack of ego to pass on that wisdom. Uh, a coach is wisdom used consistently over time to help someone achieve greater results than the coach attained. Hmm. I think that's a very interesting thought. Uh, and then I got uh, Salty Jinx jumps in. And he says, social media is a great tool for targeting a specific demographic or audience. That is 100% accurate. Uh, but if you neglect to seek those who demonstrate the true competencies in your field, it falls on you when you do reach your goals. And I feel a portion of the people seeking skills through online interaction only are either only through on online interaction only are either uncoachable or missing the point. And Flash draws attention just like a tank in the middle of the street. Yes, 100%. A tank would draw attention in the middle of the street. <laughs> any thoughts on any of that before we jump into the next question? Groovy? I think, okay. uh, oh, yeah, give her. Uh, in addition, wisdom also comes from doing it correctly, from doing it right. You know, yeah. if, you, if you do things right repetitively, and consistently, then you gain some wisdom from that as well. It's not, it's not fully from doing it wrong. You know, I think uh, doing things wrong repetitively, I don't think would be very challenging, but like when you make a mistake and then you change it and then change something and then you're successful and then you can build on that success and continue to be successful, then you gain wisdom through that as well as, as your mistakes. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. Okay. Um, any other thoughts before we jump into the second question? Good. All right, let's roll. Here we go. We got one from Anne. Let's hit it up. Anne, we go. Good morning, Collective. My name is Anne McEwen, and I'm a retired sergeant with the Ontario Provincial Police. I'm looking forward to September's discussion, but here's my question to the coaches. First, who was the most impactful and influential coach that you had in your life and why? And number two, Huberman Lab just put out, if we announce our goals, 
it can undermine our progress. What's your thought on that? That is a very good question. So I'm going to start with Julie. What do you think on both questions? Okay, the first question, uh, who was uh, the most influential coach that I had? Well, that would be easy, would be Sean. And why would that be? There he is, right there in front of us. Uh, why? Because he um, made me work hard. I mean, he pushed me to levels that I never thought that I could do and challenged me and, you know, basically didn't take take any crap. So he, he was a good coach, pushed me hard, was a good leader, um, you know, knew the game, put in the time, very experienced. And I remember when I wanted to get into the world of 24-hour solar racing, I initially started on a team. I was in Camor, and that used to be the big 24-hour race for uh, solos or, or teams and back in the day. And I was there on a team and my husband, he decided, well, I'm going to do this 24 hour solo. And Sean was there racing as well and, and happened to be around her pit. And just, uh, I just thought, well, I'll watch my husband and see, you know, if he survives and maybe if it works out for him, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I remember Sean was around the pit and, it was, I think, Steve's last lap and uh, Sean was around. And I just remember he grabbed him a bottle and he said, here you go, no need to get off your bike. It's all about improving your position now. And then I just remember thinking, hey, if I'm gonna do this, he's the guy, that's the man that you need in your pit to keep you going. So that was, uh, I think shortly after that, I reached out to Sean and said, hey, I wanna do a 24 hour solo, can, can we meet up? So. It was Sean for sure. Um, and then the other piece was, oh, should you announce your goals? Cause they might undermine and that was the other question. Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good, interesting question. I, I, I don't think that they do undermine it. I think it makes you accountable if you, announce, you know, I want to be a world champion. I want to win this event. I think that it just makes you accountable and you've announced, you know, to the world or what have you, where you want to go. So I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with that and undermines it. Of course, there's all the levels to the game of how you're going to get there. So you can't just look at the, the end goal. You're going to have to try to break that down in, in terms of how you're going to achieve that goal. But I don't think it undermines it. I think it um, strengthens the goal and makes you accountable uh, that you want to achieve whatever that uh, goal is for yourself. I like that. Nako, what do you think? Definitely the person that had the most impact on me as, you know, as a coach and a mentor was for sure, my my dad, my old man. Like I said, he was a U.S. Army Ranger, so he had leadership qualities up the yin-yang and just always brings out the best in me, still does. I always look up to him as my hero. And then uh, as far as uh, Huberman goes, got to see him live not that long ago and amazing, amazing speaker. Love what he's doing and he's impacted my life as far as like uh, getting sleep dialed in and everything. So check out his podcast for sure. And I know there's been, uh, I, th I think Jocko just did a podcast talking about throwing out, you know, the intentions and goals and what have you. And so I think there's pros and cons to both. What I like about throwing out the intentions is, is inspiring others. Like just today we did, um, did a little event where we, uh, did like a rock over um, a bridge out here in Los Angeles and someone mentioned, um, uh, scuba diving. So it's like, if I throw out, Hey, my goal this year is to become scuba certified. And, you know, the downside, hey, if I don't make it happen, you know, do I look like the idiot? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it bums me out and I, I get driven down to a hole and stop doing things. But maybe it works out. But I think more of the intention of putting it out that I like is when someone mentions that, they're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I always uh, wanted to do that, too. Uh, can I do that with you? You know, how do I do it? Set me up. And I, I think inspiring others. I know 
I get heavily inspired by friends and people I admire. And if they put out, put that out there, either I get inspired by it or I can help them. Like, hey, I've got a great friend that's, you know, scuba certified. I could do it for free for veterans and what have you. And then I could link them up. So for me, I, I love when people put it out there or if I put it out there and uh, I could bring other, others along with me. Uh, that's a win. And, and if you fail, you know, oh, well, just give it another shot. And um, like I said, it's all about the, the cracks. Cool. You didn't do it this year. You put out that you wanted to write a book and you just did a chapter. That's when you have a good, solid friendship with people. That's when they'll give you that call. Hey, you put out that you were doing this. What's the progress of that? Oh, you know what? I just I haven't made it happen. Okay. You know, how could I help you? What could we do to make get you past the finish line on that? So having good groups of friends that keep you accountable is awesome. So I, I don't see, I see more pros and cons of throwing things out there. Interesting. Travis, what do you think? Um, as far as coaching mentorship, uh, it's impossible to pin it down to, to one, you know, through my life, obviously my father, my grandfather, grandfathers, uh, both all military guys. And, uh, you know, they had a huge impact on my life growing up, um, you know, but, bringing it into like the actual like coaching training sphere, you know, through my military career. I mean, went to so many specialized schools and uh, kind of one of the things that the, at least the U S army does in their, in their special operations schools, most of them have like a few civilian guys. They're like the old dudes that, you know, they used to be operators and now they're, they've, they've gotten the, the dream job, right. Where they get to work in free fall school for the next 30 years. And they just become, I mean, they're already sky gods, but they have, I mean, they've been doing it for, you know, a quarter of a century, you know, so they have such an ex a wealth of experience and going to several of those schools and seeing those, those old guys through those training evolutions for me, it always kind of stuck out to me that, they were a little bit more relaxed than the active duty guys. You know, the active duty guys were always like, like just a little bit more gruff and like, you know, you're going to do it or you're going to fail and I don't care. And, you know, and then the old guy would be like, Hey, come here a minute, man. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me give you this little, little tidbit of wisdom. And you're going to, you're going to breeze right through this stuff. And, you know, those guys ability to do that, you know, to actually <laughs> tell you to like, Hey, when you're, when you're holding your rifle, just, pull your elbows down a little bit, you know, and you're like, that's it. Like, that's it. That's going to get, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know? And they have that wisdom over those years of, of institutional knowledge and just being able to do it. That kind of really like stuck me as like those guys all have that, that little something special, you know, and that comes with tenure, you know, being there and doing it for a long time. Um, also kind of later in my, my military career, I was, put in charge of a school, you know, and uh, I was the, basically the senior at the NCUIC of a, of a school in SWIC. And um, I was kind of retraining our cadre of the school on not just the technical skills of what we were teaching, but actually how to teach. And uh, we had a department in SWIC called SOSEP, which was the Special Operations Cognitive Performance Center. And uh, there were several people that worked there. One of them is named Dave Rizzuti, um, detachment one on Instagram. If you're interested, he, uh, he had a big impact on me because he helped me basically devise a curriculum that was teaching operators how to actually teach, you know, and we, we veered away a little bit from this stereotypical military, like training and focused on success and like the cognitive portions of actually teaching people. And it was very, very eye opening to me as a as a military guy because i had been you know 20 years doing it the military way and he kind of brought a different a different spin on it and uh it really opened my eyes a lot and then it led me down the road of so many books of reading but uh it uh it's it's been awesome you know and i've taken a lot of the lessons that he taught me and applied those to different areas of my life and and obviously to my coaching and it's and it's helped a great deal now what about the um the idea of uh, putting the, the goals. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can uh, perform at a higher level without having a goal. I mean, you have to have some kind of like higher purpose to achievement if you're going to perform better. You know, if I say, hey, I want to, you know, I want to 
go to the CrossFit games as an athlete, you know, within this time frame, then you have something to shoot forward towards. If you just say, I'm going to go to CrossFit gym every day and work out, then there's kind of, there's no, you know, chronological purpose to what you're doing. You're just going to train to train. Like, I don't know how you better yourself through that. You know, you have to, you have to have some sort of goal, even if that goal is just to work out every day, you know, that's goal number one, like just train every day, then that's a goal. And you have to at least say it to yourself in order to meet it, you know, and better yourself. So I'm not sure that I agree too much. I think maybe, you know, if you're, if you're, I don't know how it would detract from you, you know, if your focus is just the goal and you become frustrated, you know, but I think there's a myriad of other problems that we got to deal with, like, mentally to uh to make you you know realize that you're making a mistake by just focusing on the goal you know every one of the coaches like julie like as soon as you asked her you know she immediately broke down goals into like several steps and like in true coaching fashion she had already like a foot a little foundational plan of what she's going to do to achieve the answer in your question you know so you have to have goals in order to in order to better yourself you know that's my view absolutely, absolutely. Sean, you want to round us out on this? Yeah, I, first of all, uh, in the sense of coaches that stand out for me, I don't have a good, clear answer because I've just been around too many. I think uh, at my age, I've just been exposed to some amazing people that uh, it would take the rest of the podcast to call them all out. Uh, so what I'd like to do is break it down into more of a uh, model. One would be the um, my people who were coaching me actively uh, within institutions of my several careers. Uh, I got exposed to some great coaching and contrary to great coaching, I got exposed to some bad coaching. And I think that's an important subject because you have to be able to contextualize what good and bad looks like in order to make determinations moving forward on how you want to uh, proceed as a, as a good or bad coach. Uh, so institutionally, I had lots of good coaches that I can't call out specifically. But I'd like to compare that institutional coaching to athletes. My athletes coached me or anyone that I worked with, not just athletes, but within other organizations or institutions or schools or whatever. The people that I was working on behalf of or with or for, we'll call it, uh, they taught, they were coaching me how to be a better coach. That interactive two-way highway of me coaching them, their feedback and me modifying against their feedback, that's them coaching me if I'm paying attention. And so working with Julie for uh, a decade and a bit, uh, she was teaching me to be a better coach through her being a active, um, an active member of her own coaching trajectory. Uh, people, I think there's lots of different ways to set up your coaching style or your coaching platform or your coaching empire for lack of a better term. And if you're coaching from the white high tower and coaching down to the masses, you're probably not getting much feedback up to the ivory tower. Uh, so you kind of got to be down there in the mix. You got to be in there in the game with the people that you're playing the game with as your um, athletes or the people that you're working on behalf of. By being in the mix, you can then be coached by the people that you're working for. Um, and the second question in respect to Huberman, I'm a huge fan of the Huberman podcast. I call him out from time to time as go check him out because he's legit, obviously. Uh, so uh, in, in his podcast, I haven't listened to the podcast where he talks about the overarching goals in the future may be somewhat detrimental, maybe to a minor degree uh, on maybe doing it the, the best way. I'm not going to say I disagree with Huberman. That's just not how I think of things. Uh, what I do think of in this regard is I, I stay ready. And so every day I'm, I'm, I'm good to go in whatever I'm going to go into in the future. And so I stay ready in life, whatever that means to anyone out there. And then when someone says to me, like if Nako says, uh, hey, uh, I was thinking of doing my advanced uh, uh, scuba diving. Uh, uh, what do you think of that? In. Uh, hey, I was thinking of uh, maybe becoming a world champion in Javelin. I suck at Javelin, but I'm in. Like, I think that it's the inspiration of uh, putting your, not your dreamy goal out there that is unobtainable, though that's okay. I think 
saying, um, uh, setting out ideas or possibilities for yourself that you're really, really going to commit to, uh, whether you achieve them or not. That's the most important part to me because the distinction between putting a goal out there, uh, like the boy who, the boy who cried wolf, uh the uh you know the 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 folks who put out these constant goals but don't cross the start line after a while it, it forms a pattern of the boy who cried wolf and then it's it's a detriment if someone keeps putting out these goals that they never start on and so i think that there's uh for some folks it, it could be a negative but for me i when i set my trajectory on I'm going to become a world champion someday. Well, I just start marching towards it. And uh, whether I ever become one or not uh, is almost immaterial because I'm in the game and I'm churning towards uh, an outcome that pleases me. The journey, the path, the day-to-day -day pleases me. Uh, whether I achieve the big gold medal or not, uh, actually sometimes that's hardly my interest. But the journey that takes me towards it, that's my main focus. That's the that's loving on life for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, to clarify, I guess, a little bit, Hiroon was talking about the fact of uh, when you declare your goals to others and then you kind of get the, yeah, man, awesome. You should totally do that. So you get a little dopamine strike or dopamine no. hit and then you never actually do it. Yeah, no. So that's uh, I think that's where he, where that's coming from. But um, now I have another couple comments here a couple questions any thoughts before we move on from where we are very good okay um so we have let's see here this will be a good one i don't know if we have time for the third video question but this is a really great way to uh kind of finish off the show kh jumps in here he says institutional knowledge versus world knowledge which one affects coaching more or are you are there different stages when these knowledge bases are used? I think that's a great question. I'm going to start with Nako. What do you think? It's a tough one. Um, I'm trying to think of how to break that down in my brain. I'm, I'm thinking more of a street knowledge, uh, book smart and street smart type of thing. If, mm -hmm. if I'm getting, if I could break that down to like caveman terms. And yeah, I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm just a high school graduate. What do I know? But I think it's great to have a both. I mean, don't be a one-trick pony. And uh, you need that world, real-world knowledge. And then it's good to, on the side to break out that book every now and then and find out you know, what happened before. What's the, inst what's the institution? I'm a big history buff. So by learning history, you know, we can predict our future. So that's... That, that's a tool that I rely on upon, you know, everything, we're, we're just humans, everything that, that's going to happen has happened before. Usually it's just uh, distilled or in a different form or it has a different lens. So don't be afraid to step into the academic arena or want to better yourself through other means and whatever you've seen in front of you. Like I said, we can learn from everyone and we can learn from everything. And we're living right now in the information age. I mean, you could teach yourself everything right now, how to speak another language, how to play every instrument, cook whatever meal, and you just have to be thirsty and get after it. So do it all. Do it all from books, people, computers, everything. Don't stop learning to the day you die. I love that. Best answer ever. Just give her. <laughs> um, Julie, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. You got to give her for sure. Uh, I would say that's a great question. I think, um, I don't know that one affects one over the other. They're both quite important. I think world knowledge definitely is key. I mean, from a coaching perspective for uh, cycling athletes, you've got to be in the ring. You've got to do the races. You have to experience the wins, the losses, what went well, what didn't. Uh, so you can pass that on as a coach to your athletes for them to learn and get better. But then there's times when you've got to get the science in there. So if they're having issues with um, nutrition, anything, science-based sleep, recovery protocols, then you may have to get your science on. So whether that's 
you know, book smart or just research you've done, but that again could be research that you've actually done on yourself. So that also comes back to world knowledge. So I think they both play a role and it depends on what information you need to pass on to your athletes to help them achieve their goals. So it might be a balance of both depending on how you're trying to get them to achieve their best. I like that a lot. Travis, what do you think? I agree with both of them are obviously like super, super important. Um, but uh, I think you have, I mean, you have to have some real world knowledge in order to, in order to adjust, adjust your coaching and uh, achieve success, you know, like institutional knowledge. It's like, uh, you know, if I think back to my lifetime in the military growing up and like learning how to shoot, I must have heard the term, the phrase front side post, front side post, front side post, front side post, front side post about 16 trillion times, you know, and uh, I mean, maybe come up with something else, man, you know, that that institutional knowledge, it's I mean, it's not working like so like you have to have some kind of experience level that 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 kind of I don't know, it like it sparks that institutional knowledge into actual performance. You know, you can have the knowledge, but until you have the the understanding of how to turn that knowledge into actual performance of a skill, then it, it doesn't really work. You know, kind of a, another example, going back to military times, like, you know, when I came in, the last real conflict that the United States had to draw from was was Vietnam, you know. And we learned from all those 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 era guys of you know how to take care of business, and then when the GWAT started, a lot of those a lot of those things didn't really translate very well to uh, to where we were were doing business in the current time. So you know those first couple rotations, like guys were learning hard lessons, and then you know because of who they were, they were immediately bringing them back to the schoolhouse and like kind of re reformulating the plan. But that that real world knowledge is necessary in order to kind of take the next step. So there it's, you know, what's more important, like air or water, you know, like you're, you're going to die without either one. It's, it's not something that you can just choose what's more important. Like you have to have both of them to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, you want to round us out on this? Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm target locked on Nako's example of the caveman scenario. And uh, it made me think of institutional knowledge is everyone sitting inside the cage, world knowledge is stepping outside of the cave. And uh, you can learn a lot from everyone in the cave. You can learn how to do higher, you can do hieroglyphics, you can learn how to whatever, but you still haven't got a fire yet in the cave. But if you go wander the world, maybe you'll find someone who's uh, burning uh, the first fire on the planet. And uh, then you take a fire back to the cave and now, the institutional knowledge has just increased. That's the way I see coaching. Um, clients are maybe in the cave and my job is to go out there and bring back fire to some degree or a torch. And so the, um, the, my job in coaching uh, in respect to Julie as the example is I need, I need to be able to pass on the institutional knowledge that I have. And part of my institutional knowledge has to be world knowledge like uh, next year you're going to be racing in the desert. No big deal. I've raced in the desert a pile of times and these are the things that you need to know. Uh, the following year you're going to be racing up in the high mountains. Uh, no big deal. I've been there, done that. And so your world knowledge is what establishes not just confidence from the people that you're working with, them understanding that you've been there, done there, got the t-shirt. Um, they, you also need to be able to translate it in a more three-dimensional model rather than just uh, spell the word desert. You have to be able to discuss the nuance of the desert when you're speaking with uh, whoever you're working with as a client or as an athlete or someone that you're coaching. So I guess my simple answer is that uh, maybe for someone who, who can only choose one or the other, not as a coach, but as a client, the client should start thinking a little bit more about the institutional knowledge uh, and then uh, as you're thinking about that institutional knowledge and you're thinking about getting a coach, that's where you'll get your world knowledge. And through the process as a client, you can combine those two things together 
and then the client decides which is most important to them. For me as the coach, I can't separate the two. They're so joined at the hip that I can't choose one. Yeah. I, uh, I'm I think what I'm picking up from you guys is like it's it's important to understand dogma. It's important to understand the institutional knowledge, but it's important not to be dogmatic, if that kind of makes sense. Um, now we are just about at time, so first off, thank you very much because this has been enlightening <laughs> to say the least. And I got to say, I'm super excited for the rest of this week. It has this is going to be a I can't even put a value on it. Like the the sheer amount of coaches that we have and the sheer amount of knowledge, the sheer amount of wisdom that is going to be passed on throughout this week about the, with some of the questions that we have here. People would pay probably are in the range of hundreds of thousands of dollars for the next 20 plus uh, coaches over the next six plus hours of actual information. It's, it's crazy. And we're doing it for free every day here. On the, like, it's pretty awesome. So uh, let's get some final thoughts and we'll work our way down the panel. Julie, I'm going to start with you. Uh, final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think this is an awesome initiative that you guys are doing this coaching week. And I hope that people jump on board and learn what everyone has to say it's been awesome i've learned lots today and i look forward to being part of it and learning myself so i think people should jump on board there's always something to learn whether you are a coach yourself or an athlete or uh just you know you just want to get better there's going to be something for everyone this week so i hope everyone uh takes opportunity to jump in absolutely travis what do you think yeah Something that we maybe, I don't know if we just haven't got around to it yet, but like talking about coaching specifically and being a good coach, one of the one of the uh, skills I think that is very necessary is uh, is in knowing your athletes or your soldiers or your teammates or whoever you're coaching, right? And knowing kind of what they're capable of now, what they have the potential to be capable of and uh, and and really understanding what that is for yourself as a coach because sometimes i think you have to entertain delusions of grandeur right on the part of your athletes or or whatever and uh and just like yeah yeah man that's good that's a good idea uh yeah world's next year world's next year you've never trained before we got it we can do this you know or also and probably more important is some people don't really have confidence in themselves yet. And they think that they can't do anything. And uh, I, I owned a CrossFit gym for a long time. I had a, a lot of, especially older athletes that thought they were over the hill. Hey, I'm just here to like stay healthy. And it's like, Hey man, that's great. That's a great idea. And you know, the amount of times that I saw someone do their first pull up in their life and they're over 50 years old is a lot. Okay. So like understanding what people are capable of um, and kind of what they expect is important, but you have to know that probably a little bit more than they actually know that, you know, and you have to apply it in a smart way so that, you know, you're entertaining their, their, their vision, but uh, you've got your vision as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nako, what do you think? Final thoughts? Yes. Uh, I was, uh, I was thinking about that as well in regard to, um, when I'm when I'm trying to teach someone or, or coach someone through something, uh, I say that this is my way instead of the way to, you know, go back to what Travis was saying, you know, whatever we're learning now is going to evolve. Things are going to change in 10 years. So whatever we think is is the appropriate way probably will change. And so when I'm trying to teach them something, I've said this is this is a way. This is not the way you might have a better way of doing it. You tell me if that's so. And if this doesn't apply to you or you could adapt it or modify it, go for it. Don't get stuck into that dogma like we were talking about. And then one uh, also also had to define what's, what your success is. You know, is it success versus being successful? When I'm going through a jujitsu class or helping somebody out, if I'm showing them 100% of the move or whatever technique or uh, any type of platform that we're going on, if, if, we, if you could retain 1% of that, Great. If you can retain, retain all of it, great, even better. 10%, 15%. That's success for me. That's, are you better than before you came into this class? 
And if, if that's a yes, just by one little, I moved a notch a little bit, a needle, that you're, you're, on, you're on your way. So don't go into something expecting you're going to have it down 100% of the time. So learn how to really define your success. And lastly, uh, if I could steal a, a line from one of my brothers, uh, each one, teach one. I like it. Sean, final thoughts? Oh, yeah. So I think without repeating what everyone's just said, um, my job as a coach is to understand better than the individual in front of me where they're going to be in a year. They, if they're engaging with me to make themselves uh, better, whatever that means to them, or more successful, whatever that means to them, or become a world champion, which they may never be, but whatever that means to them, whatever it is that they've got in their head, that they approach me and say, could you help me with this? I know better than they do what that's going to look like in a year. That's why they're engaging me. All I need them to do is show up with passion. You don't have to show up with the answers. You don't have to show up with the schedule. You don't have to show up with anything other than passion. If you remain passionate throughout the process with a good coach, you'll become the version of yourself that you deserve to be by putting in the work passionately, by wanting to be better a year from now. Show up with that attitude and be prepared to become a different human being. That is what pays me back as a coach. I don't care about the money. I care about another person becoming more awesome. I, I won't take a photo of them on a podium as my payback. I'll just get to nod at them and think that was my time well spent. Outstanding. Yep, outstanding. Now, we're going to hit these last couple uh, comments here. Cody jumps in here, says, give her Becky buys. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Carl says, thank you, collective crew. Nako commenting, I still have a problem with d desert versus dessert. <laughs> and uh, I got a quick, easy one for you. If one tastes like sand, that's the desert. <laughs> uh, Cody says, thank you, everyone, for your time. Great talk. Winter storm. Thanks to all the coaches. Uh, Nako jumping in. Thank you for listening, engaging, and uh, Salty Jinx. What a brilliant start to the topic. Thank you for your returns and your time. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you, all the panel. This has been an amazing conversation. I can't even begin to describe how epic this week is going to be. So as we all learn more about ourselves, as we all build what we know, we can grow into who we're meant to be. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.